Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 9th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to talk about the latest film news, and in our feature presentation, we're going to be talking about the Solo, A Star Wars Story trailer. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me are writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys. Uh, over the, we've, We were planning on starting to record this uh, episode probably an hour ago, and all of this news has suddenly smashed in in, in the past few minutes. So we've been furiously writing about this stuff. Uh, let's talk about some of the most recent things that just popped up on our, uh, our news feeds. And uh, let's start with Chris. The Batgirl movie is back on track. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. So Joss Whedon was previously going to write and possibly direct the Batgirl movie for Warner Brothers. And after uh, a long time, he basically walked away from the project. Not basically. He literally walked away from the project saying he couldn't crack the story. And after Joss Whedon quit, uh, word broke that Warner Brothers was sort of putting the film on hold. They weren't going to pursue it any further for a while, but apparently that's not true because now they've just hired uh, Christina Hodson to write the script. She wrote the upcoming Transformers spinoff movie, Bumblebee. And she also has credits on some, uh, she has two other screenwriting credits. One is a 2017 domestic thriller called unforgettable starring rosario dawson and then the other is a horror movie that no one saw called shut in starring naomi watts so it's kind of a weird choice but she also has some background with the character because she was part of the team trying to develop a birds of prey movie for warner brothers which also features batgirl so that film never happened but apparently they liked her work enough on that film to give her a shot writing this script so, HT, what do you think about the idea of a Batgirl movie, you know, coming back into the forefront after Joss Whedon stepped away? As much as a fan I w- as I am of Joss Whedon, I think it was a good idea for him to step away and for Warner Brothers to tap a female screenwriter for this story, just because, you know, it it requires a female perspective, I think. And it's such a fun story character and a character that has 
a lot of potential, I think. And I'm really happy to see more of the Bat family on screen. My favorite part about Batman is his sort of assorted found family and the orphans that he's picked up along the way. So I am all for a Batgirl movie, especially because I just love her character uh, so much. And her uh, reinvented series too. So yeah, I'm all for it. And I don't really know a lot about the screenwriter, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I think she's one of those people that is definitely considered an up and comer in Hollywood. She, as Chris mentioned, doesn't have too many produced screenplay credits yet, but I know she's been a part of a lot of the big writers rooms that these studios have been putting together and the Transformers one. Um, And then also I think she's working on the Ology series of movies that Paramount was working on too. And then um, yeah, the idea that she's already had some experience with this character in in the form of a Birds of Prey movie, even though we haven't seen what that project is, I guess is a, is uh, heartening in some way. So I I mean I, I guess until we see Bumblebee, which is going to be her first really big sort of um, solo project that sort of shows off what she can do, because Unforgettable is is such a different kind of thing. It's not even really remotely in the blockbuster sphere. Um, I don't know if we're going to have enough material to really judge Christina Hodson on on what she's done thus far. So um, it'll be interesting to see who they get as a director on this. I mean, I mean, obviously having a female writer uh, tackle this, this very popular female comic book character is a great thing, but are they going to go all the way and get a female director for this too? I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. Uh, let's talk about Black Panther. So HD, Black Panther is setting box office records left and right. It's been doing so ever since it came out. What is the latest on Black Panther? So Black Panther just sunk Titanic's record as the third biggest U.S. theatrical release of all time. So Black Panther um, just raked in $665 million domestically, which overtakes Titanic's $659 million total box office haul. And it puts it just behind Avatar and Star Wars Force Awakens as the highest grossing domestic release. ever. So this is really great news for Black Panther, which, like you said, is breaking records left and right. Uh, Right out the gate, it broke the record for the highest um, uh, opening for a Marvel movie. And then it went on to become the highest grossing superhero movie ever as well. So now it is sort of inching its way towards the number two spot, uh, which is Avatar for the highest grossing domestic releases. Avatar currently holds the number two spot with 760 million, so it would need another 100 million to get over that haul, but it probably won't beat Force Awakens 937 million uh, because that's a little bit far off, and Force Awakens is a Star Wars movie, so it's kind of in another realm. And um, Black Panther 2 will probably be sort of seeding its place at the box office soon when Avengers Infinity War takes um, hold in April, late April. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you. I think The Force Awakens 937 million is uh, is practically untouchable because of how much uh, excitement and hype there was for the return of Star Wars after 10 years. And, and there was so much uh, curiosity from everyone, like my parents. And, and you know, that was a movie that really tapped into a global audience. And it looks like Black Panther is doing something similar. Chris, do you think Black Panther is going to be able to make 100 million more in order to overtake Avatar's number two spot at the all-time domestic box office list? I don't know. I It seems like it's possible now. I really don't know. I mean, I don't want to draw the ire of Avatar fans, but I just feel like this <laughs> this film is, has more legs than Avatar. Like I feel like decades from now, people are going to be talking about Black Panther, whereas 
I guess we've always talked about Avatar since there's going to be sequels every year for until the sun burns out. But still, <laughs> it's it just seems like this has more staying power. Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, so moving on to our next topic. This one is is pretty short, and you guys can read more about this and uh, all of these articles at SlashFilm.com, but I just wanted to touch on this really quickly. Uh, Game of Thrones Season 8 is currently underway. They're filming this in Northern Ireland right now, as well as uh, other places across the world. But the Northern Ireland uh, location is where they've been filming uh, a huge battle scene, and it's actually the biggest battle that uh, in Game of Thrones history, which essentially makes it the biggest battle in television history because uh, the previous battles that we've seen in Game of Thrones have been so huge. Um, the Battle of the Bastards from season six took 25 days to shoot and season seven's loot train attack, which was, uh, I think, one of the best, um, I guess, CG enhanced uh, battles in TV history, uh, took 23 days to, uh, to shoot. And the one that they just finished took a staggering 55 straight nights to film. So uh, that's basically the, the key point here is just that this is the biggest battle by far. I mean, like it doubled the production time of a lot of these, uh, what we consider to be epic battles already. So uh, I don't want to get into any spoilers or anything. You can, you can sort of dig into that a little bit further in this article if you're really interested. But um, just the idea that something this big is on the horizon for Game of Thrones is uh, is pretty fascinating. And it definitely has me curious to see what they're going to do when that show comes back in, uh, in 2019. So I just wanted to touch on that really quickly. Um, Chris, I went to see A Quiet Place at a screening not too long ago and the platinum dunes logo came up and my heart kind of dropped for a second and it's just an involuntary action that happens when i see that logo because for so long that uh production company was associated with uh horror movie remakes but now a new news story indicates that that won't be the case for very much longer right yeah, I actually didn't even know Quiet Place was Platinum Dunes until I, I wrote this story. But yeah, as you said, uh, Ben, uh, Platinum Dunes, they were primarily known for producing remakes. They did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which is actually okay, but then everything else they did is kind of terrible. They did an Amityville Horror remake, they did a Hitcher remake, they did a really, really, really bad remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, But now they're getting more into original things. Um in addition to A Quiet Place, they also co, uh, co-produced the Purge films with Blumhouse. So it seems like they've learned their lesson that uh, original horror does can you know can return much better results than remakes. Uh, uh, Andrew Form, who's one of the founders of the company, along with Brad Fuller and Michael Bay, said, "For us as a company, we're always looking for original material. Any idea of finding something original was important for us." And uh, Brad Fuller added, we've rebooted enough. We've done all our rebooted horror movies. We're not going to be doing that anymore. So it looks like Platinum Dunes is done with remakes and they're going to focus more on original genre films like A Quiet Place, which is good news because we need more of that. Uh, HT, as somebody who is just sort of, uh, I guess, beginning to dip your toe into the horror genre, you're a a horror newbie from what I understand. Is this uh, exciting news for you? Yeah, I mean, I don't quite have, I'm not very fond of uh, horror remakes. I think that tends to up the brutality and the violence just for the sake of shock value and not for any actual sort of interesting new take. So, um, and I have, I don't really, didn't really know much about Platinum Dooms until I was 
reading this story, but I really liked A Quiet Place. Uh, I haven't seen the Purge movies, but A Quiet Place is kind of, uh, I think if it's an indication of what Platinum Dunes is going to be doing from now on, I have a lot of hope for them. Yeah, me too, definitely. All right, so let's move on to the next topic, and that is uh, The Simpsons is, is embroiled in something of a controversy right now. I'm sure if you guys are on Twitter, the listeners out there, you probably already know about this, but uh, HT, run it, run it down for us anyway. I don't watch The Simpsons, so tell me, uh, as, as somebody who doesn't watch the show and doesn't re- is not really super familiar with what's going on, explain to me what's going on with this most recent controversy. So in 2017, a comedian named Hari Kondabolu uh, created a documentary called The Problem with Apu, which sort of interrogates the legacy of Apu, one of the long-running Simpsons characters who's voiced by Hank Azaria. So Apu is a sort of stereotype of this thick-accented convenience store owner who has kind of dogged Indian Americans for decades and has been sort of the only representation that Indian Americans have had on screen until recent last decade, really. So uh, this documentary made a real criticism about Apu and sort of um, to examine like why exactly he's a character that's still on The Simpsons, which is a show that has often sort of taken stereotypes and broken them down. Um, And it's has this documentary has finally gotten a response from The Simpsons itself. So in the most recent episode of The Simpsons, there's a scene where Marge and Lisa Simpson debate the merits of an old children's book that uh, Marge has edited to be less offensive, but the finished product is nonsensical and Lisa tells her so. And um, so Marge says, well, what am I supposed to do? And then Lisa responds, turning to the camera essentially, it's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded as inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? And then she, the camera swivel, swivels to the frame photo of Apu, which is signed, don't have a cow. So it's essentially the Simpsons um, responding to this documentary and the criticisms about Apu and saying, we don't care. It's raising a lot of controversy on Twitter and with the, do- the comedian who uh, did the documentary too, who said that um, on Twitter, he said, the Simpsons response tonight is not... a a jab at me, but at what many of us consider progress. So he had a big problem with it. A lot of people were calling this a really toothless and cowardly response. So it's, it is really, a, it is unfortunate because, you know, it's just kind of shutting down whatever conversations we can have about representation and about not treating like other ethnicities and races as stereotypes. Yeah, the idea of them just basically shrugging their shoulders and saying, like, what do you want from us? Like, the answer is do better, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it seems like it seems like such a weird thing for them to sort of double down on. Like, just don't address it if you're going to keep the character in instead yeah. of, like, a- antagonizing the people who are still watching the show. It's such a strange choice to me. And it's also a stranger choice because it was a line that said by Elisa Simpson, who is... Uh, usually the very progressive and liberal-minded character on the show who is kind of this beacon almost of like feminist and progressive values and to have her say it seems so both disingenuous to her and also disingenuous to the line itself in saying that like you know this caricature was applauded and and inoffensive back when it was first started which is not the case at all yeah man uh so chris do you still watch the simpsons and what do you think about all this I don't watch it um, anymore, but this this pisses me off because I was a bit, you know, I was a huge fan. I still am a huge fan of like the first 
I guess nine seasons of The Simpsons. It's to me that's one of the those first nine seasons are some of like the best television in history, and for them to just be so blasé about this is it's offensive. And uh, like HT mentioned, it's really offensive that they they tried to make Lisa the mouthpiece of this because she's the, she's like the voice of reason in that family. And to make, you know, to give her character this line is, it's like a extra, I'm going to get use foul language here. It's like an extra fuck you. Like, you know, like, what are you doing? Why, why take this approach? It really bothers me. And at this point, I really wish the Simpsons would just end because there are now more bad seasons of the Simpsons than there are good seasons. And that's just depressing. Like enough, enough is enough. Yeah, and Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall told us in our Slack channel earlier today that one of our freelance writers reached out to, I, I guess, the showrunner or the, the company and, and asked for a, a response about this. And the, the response that they got was, the episode speaks for itself. So that's sort of like a, a tripling down on this idea for me. <laughs> it's not even them like realizing that all of this uh, backlash is, is an actual problem. So I don't know, maybe um, some time away from, from this will uh, will give them the perspective that they need on this whole thing. But uh, yeah, as somebody who doesn't watch the show, but you know, cares about these these important societal things. It's it's sort of uh, strange to watch a beloved show like this um, essentially just like go down swinging on on something that's so wrongheaded. But um, let's move on to our next topic. We have a lot of news to cover still. Right before we started recording, this um, news story broke about the creators of Westworld, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. So Westworld is HBO's big fantasy or i guess it's a sci-fi series technically and uh they have are doing this reddit ask me anything session reddit to me is like completely indecipherable i don't really know exactly how it works we're trying to figure that out earlier but in to to boil it down to its essence uh jonathan nolan got on there and he was talking to the fan community who essentially solved the entire first season of westworld before the show's narrative structure revealed its twists to the audience and he said i'm just going to quote from his statement here it creates a larger problem for us though in terms of the way your guesswork is reported online theories can actually be spoilers and the line between the two is confusing it's something we've been thinking about since last season the fans of game of thrones for instance rallied around and protected the secrets of the narrative in part because they already knew those secrets through season five so he's talking about the book readers essentially um circling the wagons and and not letting spoilers out about that show so getting back to his quote he said we thought about this long and hard and came to a difficult and potentially highly controversial decision if you guys agree we're going to post a video that lays out the plot and twists and turns of season two everything the whole sorted thing up front that way the members of the community here who want the season spoiled for them can watch ahead and then protect the rest of the community and help to distinguish between what's, quote, theory and what's spoiler. It's a new age and a new world in terms of the relationship between the folks making shows and the community watching them, and trust is a big part of that. We've made our cast part of this decision, and they're fully supportive. We're so excited to be in this with you guys together. So that is the the big news, that as long as uh, this particular Reddit thread gets a thousand upvotes, which has not happened yet, but very conceivably could happen as soon as this afternoon, uh, the showrunners of Westworld are going to release a video that essentially spoils all of season two. So this is a fascinating thing that I've never heard any any showrunner or creator 
um, offer offer to its audience before. Uh, I have to know what you guys think about this. Uh, HT, let's start with you. I think it's a really fascinating sort of stunt they're pulling, or like experiment rather. And I don't know, I'm, I think that it might be crazy enough to work. As someone who was, um, back when I was watching Game of Thrones, I was so sort of intrigued by spoilers that I went and actually read the entire series as I was catching up with the show. And it was actually, people who did read the books did keep a tight hold on uh, spoilers when it came to online forums and everything like that, as far as I can remember, because... uh, there was a sort of like gatekeeping community almost to it. Like if you look at sort of like the Wikipedia sort of community and how people will edit out or make sure that something is right. I feel like that kind of became the case with game of Thrones. And I do know for a lot of people with Westworld, the, the rampant theories that were circling around season one ruined the show for a lot of people. And I know that we, as, as many other outlets, are kind of prone to breathlessly reporting on theories that are happening. But I do feel like if we do know the spoilers or like what happens in a movie, we'll be more uh, cautious about reporting it, I think, and like not putting in the headline, for example. So right. I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of on the side of this. I mean, like, I think like maybe like a bullet point list of like these events, maybe don't like spoil them or something like that would be good enough. And also I'm kind of of the opinion that spoilers, uh, if that makes or breaks a show for you, then it's not a good show. So uh, knowing it in the long run won't exactly deter your enjoyment. But I do think this would be a really interesting sort of experiment for like for fans of Westworld and people who are willing to step up and like protect others i guess from spoilers so i don't know it's it's interesting i'm really intrigued to see if this is a real thing they're happening and not just like some sort of gimmick to get headlines but it would be fascinating to see if it works out yeah i feel like in a perfect world maybe (laughs) it would work but the idea of of so i don't know this is such a complicated topic uh chris let's (laughs) let's go to you and i want to hear what you think about this before we really dive in uh, this is so strange to me, and a part of me thinks it's not even real. Like, a part of me thinks this is some sort of like long con or some sort of gag that they're going to release a video and it's not going to be accurate at all. I don't know. It just seems I'm not sure what the end game is here because the way they phrased it was to make it sound like this video is going to be for Reddit, but the minute they upload this video, if it's real on Reddit, everyone, including our site, is going to run the video and then everyone's going to know the spoilers. So I'm not really sure what their goal is. It just seems very strange and very unlikely to me. Yeah, that's part of what I was what I was sort of reacting to is the idea that like having gatekeepers does not seem really plausible or like enforceable in any meaningful way uh when every site is running you know the latest theories about westworld every site is just going to run this video and then you know anyone who wants to can just take a look at this i mean i guess there's man yeah it's a it's a very strange thing but i i am inclined to agree with your uh theory your guess that this is actually just an elaborate head fake because this is Jonathan Nolan we're talking about. This is a guy who is very, very aware of how his show is parsed, you know, every single frame online. He has been an active member of the Reddit community for a long time and knows how that community and then the internet at large works. And also he wrote The Prestige. Like that—that that is his 
his mo is misdirection and you know pulling the the rug out from people in order to achieve a magic trick that's like his whole thing so i, I would if i had to put money on this i would say that whatever video they ultimately end up releasing is going to put forth a narrative but it might not be the narrative of season two I, i'm guessing that that he cares more about surprising people than he does about the idea of potentially protecting people. Because I just think that this idea sounds innovative and interesting on paper, but as soon as you go one or two steps beyond releasing this video, it, it all seems to fall apart for me. So I don't know. Do you guys have any, any other thoughts about this or any uh, AHT? Do you think this is actually something that could be enforceable in any way? I don't know if enforceable is the sort of the right word to do it. I think this is a this is a sort of a, an issue of whether you are willing to seek out spoilers or not. So it kind of puts the um, the burden upon the viewers. You know, maybe if before when they were just like randomly looking through theories, then they wouldn't know whether one theory would pan out and one theory wouldn't. But here they have like something to avoid essentially mm -hmm. if they really want to avoid spoilers it kind of clearly delineates things that's my idea anyways in the, in the perfect world that i've created so i don't know i mean it, it kind of did work for game of thrones even though sometimes i would troll people and like kind of tease something but i wouldn't outright spoil things mm -hmm. so i don't know it i i think it could be interesting for fans of westworld to see if like they are willing to get to go out of their way to avoid spoilers essentially yeah, we'll keep you guys posted on how this all plays out. I'm, I'm really interested to see how it goes. But uh, in the meantime, let's move on to our next story, and that is the Terminator movie is uh, is casting up. Uh, we know that Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming back. Linda Hamilton is coming back to play Sarah Connor. Uh, Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool, is directing this film. And James Cameron, who directed the first two Terminator movies, is coming back to produce this movie. And now uh, a news item today uh, revealed that Diego Boneta, the uh, star of the 2012 jukebox musical rock of ages has been cast in this film i wrote an article about this on the site you can sort of you can go in and, and check that out if you want some theorizing on who this character might play but uh, i'm interested to know if you guys have seen diego boneta in anything i believe he starred in uh, scream queens as well so did either of you see rock of ages or scream queens and what do you think about him diving into the terminator universe chris uh, no, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> um, uh, I've, I've never seen uh, Rock of Ages or Scream Queens. Um, Chris, you haven't I... seen Rock of Ages? It's Tom Cruise singing, you know, jukebox uh, hair metal songs with his real voice. I, here's, a, here's a brief segue. I saw a brief clip from Rock of Ages where everyone's on a bus and they're singing Sister Christian, and it it uh, horrified me. Just the way it was shot... <laughs> And the way they're singing, it just, it was really bad. So I never saw the whole movie. <laughs> uh, what about you, HD? I have caught uh, little glimpses of Rock of Ages on cable. And I watched the first episode of Scream Queens. I don't remember Diego Boneta at all. Um, he doesn't, I feel like his face is vaguely familiar in the way that a lot of like, oh, he's Mexican-American, but a lot of the beautiful sort of CW model like, protagonists or care or actors sort of look 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no, I have no sort of feeling towards him. Yeah, he's uh, he's not exactly uh, an imposing figure, so it'll be interesting to see who he plays in the Terminator world. Let's move on to one of our last news stories, and that is I'll Be Gone in the Dark is going to become a new HBO documentary series. Chris, tell us about this. Oh, yeah, so Michelle McNamara, who was the wife of Patton Oswalt, uh, she ran a, a true crime website, and she spent years researching... Uh, a serial killer known as the Golden State Killer. Um, uh, he, much like the Zodiac Killer, no one ever identified this killer. No one ever caught him. And uh, Michelle McNamara came very close to basically cracking, uh, <laughs> figuring out who he might be. But she um, unexpectedly died uh, in 2016. Um, her book, uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, was finished and released this year. And now HBO is going to turn it into a docu-series, um, which I'm not surprised about at all. I'm, I'm currently reading the book, and it's very good. It's very cinematic, the way it's written. So it would it make either a great narrative film or a documentary film, either way. And it's also it's, – it's very disturbing. It's a very disturbing book. Um, if you don't have an, a, a home security system and you read this book, I guarantee you're going to want to run out and get one because – it's all about basically how this guy would literally just break into people's homes while they were sleeping and torture them to death. So oh it's God. it's it's very disturbing stuff. Mm. So, um, but it's a very good book if you can stomach the source material. I highly re- recommend the book. So, do you think that this is going to be a, a docu series, sort of like uh, the Jinx, which was another HBO show? And that show, I mean, that the Jinx is so unique in the way that it it's. Um, its main subject essentially became national news because of what he revealed in the, the final episode of that show. I don't think any show is going to be able to necessarily recapture that kind of holy shit uh, aspect with the ending of it. But do you think that there's a chance that this docuseries, um, I guess, brings this case to a, a such a wider audience that maybe the killer will ultimately be found is that like based on what you've read in the book and stuff like that and what you've heard about this case do you think that's something that's that's plausible i think it might be because uh, i actually had never even heard of the golden state killer until i started you know this book came out so i definitely feel like uh, there's a chance that something like this could bring a lot of attention to this story so that's going to bring us into our feature presentation. HT and Chris, we're going to leave you guys here. Where can we find more of your work online? HT, let's start with you. You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. And Chris? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 And joining me now is SlashFilm Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Brad, how's it going? Uh, not too bad. How about you? I am doing great. So uh, I guess it was late last night, uh, a new trailer dropped for Solo, A Star Wars Story. And this morning you wrote a detailed trailer breakdown of this, uh, one of our patented trailer breakdowns where we just go frame by frame looking through this thing. Um, I guess uh, I have not had a chance to read your trailer breakdown yet. I'm looking forward to doing that as soon as we wrap up this podcast. But uh, what did you think about the trailer? Just, I guess we'll talk about it in general terms, and then maybe you can tell me a, a few more little detailed things about it. But what did you think about this? Yeah, um, I thought it was fine. I, I'm still cautiously optimistic about this movie. Um, there wasn't anything particularly exciting about this trailer, though. Like, uh, you know, usually a Star Wars trailer has at least one moment where I'm like, oh, holy shit, that's awesome. And there was one good moment in the trailer, which is when uh, 
Han finds out how old Chewbacca is and that he's a pilot and the whole thing is like he's like oh okay <laughs> you look you look great yeah um but otherwise I don't know this again I feel like we have the same problem we did with the last trailer in that this is a movie that's called Solo and there's not really a lot of Han Solo in this trailer and part of that might be because this is an ensemble cast piece because it's a heist movie and that kind of thing but the movie is still called Solo and I feel like they're holding back. Alden Ehrenreich's performance, and I'm worried that it's because this is maybe the best stuff that they're showing, and maybe his performance isn't that great. Uh, I, I really don't know. Like, I'm I want to be on board with this movie, and there's some things about it that are that are interesting, but you know, there, this trailer doesn't really give that much of a vibe of what the story is even about, except that there's you know some job that they're trying to pull off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing because maybe the story is really cool and they don't want to give away certain details. But right now, I'm, it's, I'm having difficulty getting really excited for it as big of a Star Wars fan as I am. Yeah, that's sort of surprising to hear because you're a much bigger Star Wars fan than I am. And I guess I I find myself pretty, I mean, you know, I guess cautiously optimistic is the way to describe it. But I find myself kind of excited about this. It seems, you know, for a concept that I think all of us agree does not need to actually exist uh i think it it looks kind of cool and especially for something that has undergone so many behind the scenes mix-ups and shake-ups and troubles and all of that kind of stuff it, it seems like it's a movie that um that has a a distinct look to it which i i think even in the trailers i was expecting the film to maybe feel a little disjointed because of you know lord and miller lord and miller ron howard all this kind of stuff i, I felt like we might get a get uh, a feeling of that in the footage that we see, but to me, it doesn't seem like that's there. Um, and all the Donald Glover stuff is so great. I really enjoyed Amelia Clark kicking off this trailer. Um, she, as a performer, can be hot and cold for me, but this, you know, from what what little we see of her here, it seems like she's very much in her wheelhouse and, and comfortable. So I'm I'm kind of excited about about what I'm seeing here. Uh, what did you think about Paul Bettany? I think this was our first. Was this our first look at his character? This is our first look at him as in full, you know, makeup and effects and whatnot. Because there was a couple pictures that emerged from the set, but we didn't see him with all those facial marks that he had. Um, yeah, what do you think those are? Those scars, or that is that like is he playing an alien character? What do we know about him? Yeah, I mean, we don't really know a lot about him. We know that he's a gangster by the name of Dryden Voss, um, and apparently he's the the one character in the story that is the ingrained the deepest in the criminal underworld of Star Wars. But otherwise, we don't really know much about him as far as uh, whether he's an alien or if he's a human with scars or has face paint or anything like that. Those details ha- aren't clear yet, so his character is kind of a mystery. But we do get to see him using some cool new weapons in this trailer, which are like these brass knuckles that have these like energized blades coming out on each side of them. And it looks like he has two of them. Uh, And one of them, he's like, you can't see who he's attacking, but he goes to attack somebody and it cuts through like what looks like a a big, you know, vase or like a a big pottery piece or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it looks like it has similar traits of maybe a lightsaber blade, um, but perhaps not quite as as strong, but it's, it's, it's a cool new weapon for sure. So what do you think about uh, the vehicles and like the sense of uh, of travel in this trailer, I guess, is, is a way to describe it. Because to me, it seems like this is one of our first, um, I, I guess, detailed looks at, is it called a Convey-X? This, this cool looking train vehicle, is that right? 
Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, so that and then like just the um, the maneuverability of the Millennium Falcon and some of the ships and just the the Star Wars of it all, the the actual space flight and all of this kind of stuff, it, it seems like very kinetic and um, I don't know, just super fun to me. What did you make of all that? No, and that's that's kind of why I'm I'm still not down on this movie yet is because it does look exciting, it looks fun and and enjoyable, but. Uh, there's something about it that doesn't feel like it quite has the the real energy that I expect from a Star Wars movie. But yeah, I, the stuff with the Millennium Falcon is is really cool. Um, the, there looks like there's going to be a lot of chases here. I, I think that the heist on the Conveyex is going to be really cool. We could see more of that here with the new range troopers um, who are have these boots that are magnetized to the surface of the train while uh, shoot, having a shootout with Woody Harrelson as Tobias Beckett. There, there's a lot of cool stuff here. Um, for sure. But, but again, you know, nothing that I'm, I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the only other thing I guess that I, that I noticed on first view of this trailer, cause I only saw it once, um, was the, uh, I guess conscious homages to, you know, movies long past the, uh, the old school Westerns and like the Japanese uh, samurai movies and stuff like that. Um, did you, what did you think about the way that, uh, I, I guess it's so hard to attribute those choices to a particular filmmaker because we know that Ron Howard shot, I think the same script that Lord and Miller were working with. He just went right. in and did it a lot more efficiently, which is what Lucasfilm was looking for. Um, but in terms of shot selection and stuff, what did you think about those shots? Was that like a little too much for you? Like the, the shots between the legs and the, I guess the, uh, the holster, the gun holster and, and all that, that looked like a classic sort of quick draw scenario was all that, um, appropriate to you for the, the tone that you think they're going for here? Yeah. I mean the, honestly shots like that are what is keeping me the most interested because it's clear that there's, there's actually some style here. Um, you know, Ron Howard, definitely gets criticism and, and I, I've given it to him too, that he's, he's more of a, you know, uh, an everyman filmmaker and doesn't really have any signature traits about him and doesn't, doesn't stand out from the rest of the pack as a filmmaker, which is, you know, part of the reason he was hired. He felt safe, but there's some, some stylish stuff here. You know, like uh, that shot of Lando between Han's legs when he walks in the bar is really cool. Like you said, the, the side shot where you see Han unclipping his blaster as he stands in front of the villain, uh, who is apparently is named Enfys Nest, if that's how you pronounce it. Enfys, <laughs> Enfys, I don't know, but it's that's apparently a female character as well. Um, and then you have the the establishing shots of the conveyex, you know, just like you would an old school locomotive train before a gang of robbers comes to, you know, uh, take whatever loot is on board of it. So it's it definitely has the sci-fi western feel uh, that you know the original Star Wars um, was intended to have. That was the whole idea behind it. It was uh, it was not only was it a sci-fi opera, but it had all these western influences as well. So it's it's cool to see that in uh, in a movie that does take place you know a few years or so before Star Wars: A New Hope. So there's one moment when I think it's Woody Harrelson's character throws a blaster to Han. Do you think that's the origin of him? Do you think that's the first time he's gotten that weapon? Or did, could you see it going frame by frame through it that that was like a different one than the one that he carried in A New Hope? No, it's it looks like that is the signature DL-44 blaster that Han Solo is known for having. So it looks like Beckett gives it to him. Uh, whether that's the first time he's actually used a, a blaster like that is, you know, remains to be seen. But that, uh, at the very least, that that is the gun that he is tossing him. There, there are some other interesting tidbits in here too, like uh, Chewbacca interacting with another Wookiee, seemingly maybe a female Wookiee, one that he's showing affection towards as he, 
maybe heads off with Han because of the the life debt that we uh, know that he has to to him for saving his life. Um, there's some other stuff here, like possible Mandalorian hints. There's a this establishing shot of Han and Kira and Chewie walking into this. It looks like kind of like a rundown, almost tribal kind of building, and there's a big uh, animal skull with t- huge tusks swirling off of it that looks reminiscent of the Mandalorian symbol that Boba Fett has been known to don as well as some of the characters from star Wars rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's a hint maybe towards there being a larger part for Mandalorian as a civilization here, or if maybe there's a Boba Fett appearance in store. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some interesting details here for sure that they don't offer up, you know, uh, clear paths as to what we can expect from this movie. But the, interesting hints as to what we might see. Oh, and uh, another cool thing is um, there is a, a quick shot when you see Kira and Han from the back walking through a bar. I think it's, it's the same bar that Lando is at, and there's this big flash behind a cage in front of them. And I wasn't entirely sure what that was, but then today they released a bunch of pictures of the new toys that are coming out for Han Solo, and one of them is a, a two-pack Funko Pop of droids that are called fighting droids. So it looks like one of the uh, sports and hobbies in you know this kind of seedy underbelly of the Star Wars galaxy is watching droids duke it out in a cage match. Interesting. That's something we haven't seen in the Star Wars universe before. Yeah. Um, I don't really think we've seen any sort of uh, you know mono mono conflicts like that, uh, regardless of um, <laughs> I was going to say race, but I guess uh, humanity. <laughs> uh, I don't think See? we've <laughs> yeah I don't think we've seen droids or humans or any creatures do anything like that. So that that should be interesting. And we have no idea where like on what planet that bar is, do we? Not no the we don't know where that where that bar is. The only two planets that we like know for sure where things are happening is uh, Han Solo's home planet is Corellia, and that that seems to be where. Um, a lot of that action takes place like with the industrial settings, with the the speeder chases and the um, the shipyard where you see a, a star destroyer being built in the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a new planet called Vandor, and that's where the heist on the conveyor t- uh, takes place. But otherwise, uh, details on any other planets for sure, like uh, where the settings are and that kind of thing, we don't really know. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I look forward to diving more into your trailer breakdown, and I encourage everybody to do the same. Uh, You can find that linked here in the show notes, along with all of the other uh, articles that we talked about on today's podcast episode. Brad, before we go, where can people find more of your work online? Slashfilm.com is where I write all the time. You can also check me out on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and check out my goofy podcast, Go Flix Yourself, for a bunch of jokes and talk about movies and trailers and trivia games and all that jazz. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. I am also writing at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at the site, like Brad's trailer breakdown. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That really helps us a lot in terms of visibility. And tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you guys tomorrow.